0: Well, good evening. It's good to see you tonight. Glad that you're here. We uh, had to take last Wednesday night off because of the ice, but we're back. Now it's just cold and wet, isn't it? But. But anyway, we're glad you're here. It's good to see a good crowd braving the elements to come out tonight to study God's word. We always have a, a good crowd online, and so we're glad you've joined us wherever you are and however you may be joining us as well. As we continue in Zechariah, the Old Testament prophet, a new day for God's people is the study of our t- title of our study, and we will uh, be looking at uh, verses chapter one through eighteen through chapter two verse five tonight. So let's pray together and we'll get started. Father, we want to thank you tonight for the opportunity to study your word. Your word is powerful. It is the final authority regardless of what anyone may say or society says. God, your word is our is our final authority. And so I pray tonight that as we study your word together, God, it will be opened up through the Holy Spirit. You'll open up our eyes to understand Zechariah In 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 better ways and apply it to our lives today. God, we thank you for your goodness and we just pray for your blessings on us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we missed last week, but that doesn't mean you're going to get off without the pop quiz. You ready for it? We've got eight questions tonight. So jot down the questions, and we'll see how many of you make a hundred on the pop quiz tonight. So, question number one: what does the name Zechariah mean? I know it's been a couple of weeks, but hopefully, so write them down, don't speak it out, and and, uh, write it down, and then we'll go back and cover uh, the answers uh, in just a moment. Number two, the name of Zechariah's famous grandfather. See, these are so easy, it's embarrassingly easy tonight, isn't it? The name of Zechariah's famous grandfather. Question number three, two themes of the book. The book is about two things. Zechariah, if you remember those, jot them down, the two themes of the book. All right, question number four. The Hebrew word for repent, and I'll accept either the Hebrew or the Arabic, either one. Hebrew word for repent. We talked about in session number two. Question number five, what does the phrase Lord of hosts mean? All through Zechariah, Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts. What does Lord of hosts mean? Lord of what? Question number six, when the Israelites were allowed to return home from Babylon, only a remnant actually returned. How many returned back? You remember the number of people? only a remnant it wasn't a majority and what was the number how many people came back from Babylon to the homeland of Israel question number seven from our last study two weeks ago in Zechariah's first vision what were the colors of the three horses he saw three horses and then three different colors the Bible tells us now you can't look in the Bible that's cheating you can't cheat on a Bible test. Three colors of the horses. And then the last question, number eight, where were the horses standing? The Bible tells us specifically they were standing in a certain location. Where were the horses standing? All right. You got it? Question number one, what does the name Zechariah mean? Yahweh remembers. I hope you remembered. Yahweh remembers. They thought God had forgotten them. So Yahweh remembers. Question number two, the name of Zechariah's famous grandfather. Ido. Exactly right. Everybody knows that. Two themes of the book. Question number three, rebuild the temple, get back to rebuilding the temple again. They'd stopped for 18 years. And number two, that your greatest glory is ahead of you. The best days are ahead of you, not behind you. Question number four, the Hebrew word for repent. Shuv or shub with a B or with a V, either one. Arabic doesn't have B's, they have V's. So shub or shuv. Question number five, the phrase Lord of hosts means armies, Lord of the armies, that's exactly, which is unique because Israel didn't have an army at the time, so Lord of the armies. Question number six, when the Israelites were allowed to return back from Babylon, only a remnant returned, how many? 50,000, exactly right, good, a lot of you got that, 50,000 returned, hundreds of thousands remained, and only 50,000 came back. In Zechariah's first vision, what were the colors of the three horses? Red, white, and sorrel. That's exactly right, or a bay color. Red, white, and sorrel. And question number eight, where were the horses standing? In the glen, or in the bottom, or in the hollow? So any of those would work. They were standing in the glen, the Bible says. So how many of you got all eight? All seven out of eight. Okay, several of you got seven out of eight. Six out of eight? Okay, you had some more there. We'll stop there. So, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I need to recap the background once again quickly because it really comes into play tonight to understand vision number 2. It eight visions. Vision number 2 and half of vision number 3 will be what we cover tonight. Some interesting th- things in there. Chapter 1 verse 17 through chapter 2 Verse five. So let's uh, here's the background again. Remember to the book because it's not going to make sense without the background. Let's just recap very quickly. Remember in Israel's history, they were they had sinned against God. God had warned them through prophets that if they did not return or, or repent from their sins, God's going to send another nation in to destroy them. That happened. Babylon came in five eighty seven five eighty six B C. Captured Israel. Killed some of the Israelites. Uh, others they took away back to Babylon, uh, and it was known as the Babylonian captivity, even in Israel's history today, known as the Babylonian captivity. So they were captured, taken back to live in Babylon. Years go by. they're there, stuck, living there as captives. The Persians defeat the Babylonians. So now Israel is under the control of the Persians because the Persians defeated the Babylonians. So the Persians are now in control. King Cyrus of Persia, he allowed his subjects to much more freedom than they had, uh, than, the, than the Babylonians did. So, he allowed the Israelites to return back to the land, to their homeland, Israel. If you want to go back home, you can go back home. And uh, that, that's fine. So, they were allowed to go back home for the first time in 70 years. But, most of the Israelites chose to remain rather than go back. Why? Why? wouldn't you if you get a chance to go back home wouldn't you want to go back yeah but think about it whenever the Babylonians had invaded 70 years earlier they had burned everything to the ground your buildings are gone your temples gone your, your farms are wrecked everything is charred rubble and so you for 70 years now have known nothing but Babylon you've raised kids you've raised grandkids that's what you know now is Babylon so why do you pack up, move back to Israel, and basically start over. I mean, your job's in Babylon, your family's there, and if you go back to Israel, it's going to be really hard because you're going to have to rebuild everything, your labor force is going to be minimal, your money's going to be minimal, everything's in charred ruins, you have to start all over again. So most Israelites said, thank you God, but no thank you, we'll just remain where we are. So thousands upon thousands remain where they are and only 50,000, only the tribe of Judah returned back 50,000 and tried to make a go of it again back in their homeland. Zechariah the prophet most likely was a little boy. He was probably just a small boy. His grandfather Ido had been in captivity with him. He was a priest and so Ido travels back to Israel and Zechariah Little grandson in tow, holding grandfather's hand, probably made the 1,200 mile march back to Israel. So Zechariah and his grandfather were two of the Israelites who had returned. When they got there, as I mentioned, it was hard. Life was hard, everything is charred, there's no way to make a living. And then, as soon as they get back, guess what happened? A drought. So you're trying to raise crops, you're trying to make a go of it, and and immediately you have a drought. Rebuilding was hard, little labor force, little money, so now there's a drought, not many crops, hostile enemies nearby, not wanting you to come back. Life was much easier in Babylon. So they got there, and immediately they thought, what's the first thing we do? Well, we rebuild the altars in the temple so we can at least sacrifice to God again and our sins can be forgiven. Now think about this. For 70 years, they didn't think their sins were forgiven. They didn't think God was with them. So you get back, you want your sins forgiven, you want that relationship with God, so they rebuild the altars so they can at least bring a sacrifice so their sins can be forgiven folks aren't we blessed to have a savior who's already done that for us man well they obviously they didn't their sacrificial system how their sins are forgiven so they rebuilt the altar so they could sacrifice again and they started to rebuild the rest of the temple well they got a little of the foundation laid and that was about it got discouraged and quit So they had been quit. They had been stopped for 18 years. So after 18 years, Zechariah receives a vision from God to, number one, encourage the people to go back to work again and rebuild that temple and rebuild that city of Jerusalem. And second of all, Israel thought, our glory days are gone. Our best days in this land were before Israel was ever captured by the Babylonians. So Zechariah came along and God said, Zechariah, tell them to rebuild again and that my greatest glory will be in the future, not in the past. A better day is coming. So he received eight visions. Vision number one, we talked about last, uh, two weeks ago, our last study, in vision number one, God promised to comfort those who had resettled in the land again, all 50,000 I'm going to be the God of comfort to you because that's what they needed. Now, in vision number two we're going to look at tonight, God now tells the Israelites, second vision is, you remember all those nations that conquered you, Babylon and Persia and all that? They're going to get coming to them what's due because they weren't sinless themselves. So, I'm going to punish them for punishing you. And that's what vision number two is about. So let's go now to letter A on your outline. The second vision, horns and craftsmen from chapter 1, verses 18 to 21. So, verses 18 and 19. Zechariah said, And I lifted my eyes, and I saw, behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? And he said to me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Now, Zechariah lifted his eyes and he saw four horns as a horn of an animal. What on earth would that mean? In biblical times, horns symbolized strength and power and authority. The power of an ox, the power of a bull were talked about in the Old Testament. So whenever you heard horns, the horns of the altar represented strength and power and authority. As trophies of a hunt, whenever they would hunt in those days, they would, of course, eat the meat. But they would keep the horns as representative of their conquest and of their power. We still do the same thing today. Somebody goes deer hunting. They bring the horns back. Or the horns of an elk. Or the horns of a moose. So the same thing still. It's, a, it's your conquest. It, it's your, it means you. you. It's victorious. You kill the animal. And so you mount it on the wall. And they did the exact same thing there. The horns were were symbolic of the strength of a nation. So. Zechariah asked the angel, what are these? These horns. These are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Now, just a side note real fast. Did you notice Judah, Israel, Jerusalem? But the only nation that returned was Judah. Why would he mention all three if you remember in Israel's history, Israel had a civil war, like the U.S. had a civil war. And they actually divided into the north and the south. North was Israel, south was Judah. The capital city of the south was Jerusalem. So, the northern portion, Israel, they were captured first. Judah remained. They were at odds. They didn't like each other very much. Eventually, Judah then was captured. And now, he should have said, this is Judah because you're the only ones left but he identified Judah and Israel and Jerusalem so most scholars believe that the tribe of Judah in God's eyes now is considered the whole nation of Israel that's interesting that he mentioned all three so from now on in prophecy God deals with his people it's actually only Judah the other tribes are lost But he sees Judah as Israel, his people. And you see that even here. That's just a a side note. Now, four horns. Why four? Well, some Bible scholars say because the Bible refers to the whole world as being the four corners of the earth. We know the earth is round. It was just a euphemism. Four corners of the earth meant every direction you go on earth. So some Bible scholars say every nation who will ever punish Israel or attack Israel will be judged by God. Maybe. Others say, well, there were four primary nations that made up Persia. It was those nations. Yeah, maybe. But here's, I think, most likely what it is. If you remember Daniel 7. Daniel 7 says, Israel, in the future there will be four nations that primarily the Gentile nations that will control you or rule over you. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Alexander the Great, and Rome when Jesus was here. So most likely he's talking about those four nations. These four nations will be judged. Babylon will be judged and there will be no more. It happened. Persia will be judged and it will be no more. But when Zechariah prophesied that, that hadn't happened yet. Greece then will take over and they'll control you, Israel. But they'll be captured by Rome. And then Rome will lord over you, but they too will be judged. So most Bible scholars believe this is a reference to Daniel 7, where the four nations are those four horns that actually attacked Israel and controlled them. Now, let's go to the second part of the vision. Verses 20 through 21. Verse 20, Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, What are these coming to do? And he said, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. Let me explain that. After Zechariah saw the four horns representing the four nations that would control Israel, now he saw four craftsmen. And he asked the angel who showed him these things, what are these craftsmen coming to do? They have a hammer in their hand. What are they coming to do? And the angel said, they are coming to smash the horns and cast down the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So these are the nations God raised up to judge the other nations who had captured Israel. If you go all the way back to Genesis 12, you remember what God told Abraham, Genesis 12, 3. He said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Well, that's still in effect. Those nations that had cursed Israel or attacked Israel, God is now going to judge them. And folks, nothing's changed today. As I've mentioned to you before, especially with our Revelation study, notice worldwide the nations that are siding with Israel and those nations that do not side with Israel. Notice those because that's key in Revelation. And that's always key. God always judges those nations who attack Israel. Today, Palestinians, Sometimes the U.S. has been a friend of Israel and sometimes not so much. But just note, those people who support Israel and those people who do not, God has always judged those who don't. So the craftsmen are coming to break the horns, shatter the horns. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said about this passage. God always finds the right men to do his work. Not four gentlemen were showing up with pens to write. And not four architects to draw plans. But four rough men to do the rough work. To do the smashing. No, they weren't gentlemen that day that were cutting off the horns. They were carpenters with rough tools and with hammers. And with her whole strength, beating with a hammer those horns into pieces. So rest assured, God's people, when the horns grow troublesome to you, the carpenters will be found. Now, here's one side note. Kind of interesting. The word craftsman there is an interesting word. It's the word in Hebrew, karash, C-H-A-R-A-S-H. It is translated carpenter or mason or metal worker or a smith. Some translations say, I saw four smiths coming down. But the word karash can also mean engraver or artisan or one that works with fabric. Not necessarily a rough and tough carpenter who has a hammer smashing everything, but an artisan weaving embroidery. Okay, well, wait wait a minute. How in, the, how in the world would that be terrifying to the nations? An embroiderer shows up. Four of them. Well, here's the theory. We don't know. It's because it's the same word used for both. Some Bible scholars believe he was referring that when the temple is restored and all the artistic beauty is restored and everything that represented God and His power is restored, then He will act for His namesake and He will destroy the nations. So you rebuild that temple and let the artisans do their work and the embroiderers do their work and when it's restored... Those nations will be crushed. Maybe. So maybe it was a hammer and a carpenter and a rough guy. Or maybe it was an artisan and an embroiderer to restore the temple. In either sense, God promised to break the power of the nations who broke Israel. Now, what happened? Well, if there were four nations at Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome... Did all four of them fall? Well, Babylon was destroyed by Persia. So Babylon fell. And then Persia was destroyed by Greece. So Persia fell. And then Rome was destroyed by Persia. So Persia fell. Now, it hadn't happened in the days of Zechariah. So evidently, this must be prophetic. Because it didn't happen in Zechariah's day. And Rome will eventually fall to Jesus in the millennium according to Revelation. So all four who are attacked Israel will be judged. Now before we go to letter B on your outline in the third vision, let me just, um, I, I take three, three points from this vision. Let me mention them briefly. Number one, God takes note of every nation that lifts their hand against Israel. He notes that. So again, as I said, watch those nations that side with Israel and those that attack Israel. Even today, maybe you saw in the news, maybe you didn't, Iran announced today they have an underground air force base with cruise missiles, and they issued a warning to Israel. Any more drone strikes, any more things against us, We will retaliate quickly against you. That was in the news today. We talked about that in Revelation in our study. Remember that? Talked about Iran and what's looming on the horizon. So whatever nation lifts their hand, whether it's the Palestinians or whoever, against Israel, God always takes note. Second thing I see from this vision, God has complete knowledge of everything going on. Now, a lot of these nations didn't get what was coming to them for years and years later. But God kept his promise. And it may look like today in history, God's doing nothing about what's going on in the world. But he's taken note of everything. He has complete knowledge of everything going on. And the third thing I noticed from this. He has already prepared the punishment for those people who harm his people. He's already, pre- and talked about it in Revelation again, he has already prepared punishment for those who harm his people. So you see that from vision number two. Now let's go to the third vision, letter B on your outline. Let's go to chapter two, verses one through five, and we will stop there tonight. In the first vision, God brought comfort to Israel. In the second vision, God brought judgment upon those nations who would conquer Israel. Now we go to vision number three. You remember we talked about all eight visions being a chiasm, which is a teaching device in Hebrew where one and eight uh, are kind of connected. Visions two and seven are connected, three and six are connected, four and five are connected. And if you remember, it's like an airplane 30,000 feet, you see the earth, and then you lower. In vision number two, you can see countries, and you make out Israel, and you get a little lower, and you see Jerusalem, and you get a little lower, and you see just the temple itself, and then the plane rises back up, and you see Jerusalem, and you see Israel, and you see 30,000 feet. That's visions 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. 1, 2, 3, 4, and then 5, 6, 7, 8. So, you can see the parallels starting to develop when we get further into the visions Vision number three now. In this vision, God guarantees prosperity and expansion for Jerusalem. So third vision, we're getting closer. He talked about the nations in vision one. He talked about Israel in vision two. And now vision three, he's talking about Jerusalem, the city itself. And he says in vision number three, this city is going to be prosperous and glorious, and expanded. That's the vision. Imagine you're one of those Israelites who just made the trek from Babylon. You're one of the 50,000, you've made the trek back, and you're looking at nothing but charred rubble, and nobody there but you, and a prophet shows up and says, God told me to tell you, this city is going to be glorious, expansive, and majestic, and majestic. And you're going to be going, yeah, I don't see it, but okay. That's how they felt. And that's what the vision was about. Take heart. This city you're standing in will one day be God's city and his glory will fill this place. And the world will come to it. Well, let's look at the vision. Verses 1 and 2, measuring Jerusalem. And I lifted my eyes, and I saw a, behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. That would be a tape measure. Verse 2. And I said, where are you going? And he said, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. Let's stop there for a moment. In this vision, Zechariah saw a man. Well, it was actually an angel who looked like a man. Now many times in the Bible, angels show up and they look like humans. They're so lifelike, everybody thinks they're a human when they're actually an angel. Uh, it happened with um, Abraham and Sarah. It happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, happened with Jacob in Genesis 32, wrestling with what he thought was a man, it was an angel. And even in Hebrews, we're told today, be careful because strangers you may be entertaining may be angels. They look like humans. So, angels don't become humans. They're, they're still angels, but sometimes they're so lifelike that they look like a human. So he lifted his eyes and he saw a man he's actually an angel and he had a tape measure in his hand and Zechariah said where are you going with that tape measure and he said I'm going to measure Jerusalem and Zechariah's probably thinking "That won't take long there's nothing there but he's saying it's going to expand and be glorious now this would have been preparation, the measuring for rebuilding Jerusalem. And Israel had only laid the foundations of the temple and set up the altar. There's a lot more to come. That's what the angel is trying to tell him. This city, is, God's going to restore it again. So, let's go to verses 3 through 5 and look at the prophecy. And then we'll close there. And behold, verse 3 the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him. So here's the scenario Zechariah sees this man with a tape measure, and he says, Where are you going? He says, I'm going to Jerusalem to measure it, and he takes off running to Jerusalem. In the meantime, another angel is running back towards Zechariah, coming from Jerusalem. So one angel's going this way, and one angel's coming this way. Verse 4. And he said to him, Zechariah, run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude and people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Let's talk about those verses. As the angel was going away from Zechariah, another angel shows up, and the angel says to Zechariah, now, first of all, some people believe that the angel that left was the angel riding the horse in chapter 1, and that the angel coming back from there, now talking to Zechariah, is, quote, the angel of the Lord. Who's that? Jesus. Now, let me explain. Sometimes in the Old Testament you see the phrase an angel of the Lord, and sometimes you see the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord is capitalized. Whenever you see that, an angel of the Lord is usually just any angel God created. But when you see the angel of the Lord, it's usually a reference to Jesus in the Old Testament, the second person of the Trinity, who was... In for appearing in a form is what's known as a theophany, an appearance of God, Jesus, in the Old Testament. So when the angel of the Lord comes back, it, some people say that was the incarnate Jesus before, before he was born who was coming back to talk to Zechariah. And the angel said to Zechariah, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem will burst at the seams again. Now hold on a second. Who's the young man? We don't know. Say to that young man, was that young man the angel that was leaving? Or is that young man Zechariah? If it's Zechariah, we get kind of an insight into his age. He'd have been a young man because. The word young man that's used there is the Hebrew word na'ar, which means from infancy to adolescence. He'd have been a teenager at best. So maybe the young man was the angel because Zechariah appeared to be older than a teenager at this point. Now here's something that I find interesting. Nothing I think to make of it, I just find it interesting. The word na'ar in Hebrew is used four times. All four times, the young man is running. I don't know why. Naar is used when Jonathan's shooting arrows to signal to David. You remember that story? And it says a young man went to retrieve the arrows. Naar, young man, a teenager, running to get the arrows. Second time Naar is used when Elisha raises the Shunammite woman's son, He's called a Naar, and he is run. He says he's run. He left running. Third time it's used is David and Absalom. David is grieving Absalom's death, and it says that David's servant was Naar, and he was running away from David. And now the fourth time we see Naar, run, say to that young man, now they're always running. What do you make of that? I don't, I don't think there's anything you do make of it theologically. But I just find it interesting. It's mentioned four times in the, in the Old Testament. And all four times the young man's running. So run and say to that young man, Jerusalem will burst at the seams. It will be bursting with people and animals and you name it. Jerusalem will be a broad spreading metropolis. Wow, probably thought I, I don't see it, but okay, Lord, it's promise. Now, did this happen in Zechariah's day? Did Jerusalem ever become a broad spreading metropolis? No. So, is Zechariah wrong? Nope. It is today. And it will be today. In the millennium so it must be talking about a future day because here's what happened I'll I'll, it's not a spoiler alert the end of the book but here's what happened they rebuilt the temple of Jerusalem they got it all set up waiting for this to happen they invited all the Jews who had chosen to stay in Babylon they invited them to come back, saying, Hey, you didn't want to come back and do the hard work, but everything's ready, the city's rebuilt. You can come back now and enjoy it. Did they? No. So, Zechariah never saw this fulfilled in his day, but it's being fulfilled today. Let's go to verse five, we'll close. Verse 5 is one of the greatest verses of the Old Testament. God said, and I will be to her, Jerusalem, and my people, a wall of fire all around them. God's saying, my presence will be in Jerusalem. Would that be motivation to those to rebuild? Absolutely. If God's there, let's rebuild it and make a beautiful, glorious city to our God. He says, I promise, I will be Jerusalem's defense. You won't need a physical wall around the city. I will be your protection. Now, as you know, in biblical times, in ancient times, any major city of any size would build a wall around the city. Why? Armies can't just march in and capture you. They have to scale the wall or breach the wall or whatever, but the wall is kind of your defense against the city being captured. So every city had a wall. In fact, a city without a wall, Proverbs says, easily taken. So he says, Jerusalem won't even need a wall. I myself will be your wall of protection and I will be your glory inside of it. Now, such a promise would have been a huge encouragement to the builders at that time who had just returned. Just returned, laid the foundation, built the altar, stopped after 18 years. That would have been a huge encouragement to get back building on the city again. Now, whenever he says, I will be a fire all around you, does that sound familiar? You remember the wilderness? God was a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. And what did he do? He protected them and he guided them. So, look at Jerusalem today. No physical wall around it, right? In fact, in our day of modern weaponry, a wall would be useless. Cruise missiles come in, walls don't stop them. But today, Jerusalem has no wall around it. It's bustling with people like this prophesied. It's a city of influence like this prophesied. Jerusalem today, those of you who have been to Jerusalem with us on our trips, you know the impact as soon as you enter it for the first time. Your, your breath's taken away. It's a beautiful city. It's, it's, there's high technology there. A million people live there. Unemployment is low in, in Jerusalem. Construction's going on everywhere. Construction cranes everywhere. Some of the most prestigious universities in all the Middle East are in Jerusalem. And today, it is a city of influence. And as you enter it, you see God's glory there. Was it fulfilled in Zechariah's day? No. No. But it is today. You go to Jerusalem today, you'll see Zechariah fulfilled. And in the millennium, it will be fulfilled as well. God is so good, never breaks his promises. He always keeps them. Now, the vision continues. We don't have time tonight, but chapter, the third vision continues. And next Wednesday night, we'll start in verse 6 and finish the chapter because that third vision if you have any questions or comments, send me afterwards. I'm always glad to, to visit. Send me emails. I'm always glad to respond as well. Good to see you tonight. Let's pray and we'll dismiss. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you that you're the God who always takes note of everything going on with your people. You're a God, Lord, who, who always recompenses. You're a God who always watches after your people and blesses your people And thank you, Lord, for the promise to be a fire of protection and the glory in the midst of your people. And I thank you that through Jesus Christ, we're considered your people today. Father, continue to bless us as we study your word, and we thank you for the God that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you Sunday.